What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Mind Over Macros podcast. As always, I am your host, Mike Milner. And today I was joined by a special guest on the show to talk about biceps and boners or boners and biceps, whatever order you want to go with. I had Ali Gilbert on the show. And when you hear biceps and boners, you might be thinking, oh, maybe this doesn't apply to me because I'm not capable of getting a boner. Maybe you are not part of the population that can achieve or have the parts to get a boner. We're we're off to a great start here. Um, But this applies to everybody because, yes, we are talking about men's health. Yes, we are talking about testosterone. Yes, we are talking about being able to get lean, build muscle, achieve strong erections and, and all the things that come with being a man and being healthy and fit. However, this applies to everyone. And I think that uh, I know we have a lot of women that listen to the show. Before you tune out, I just want to tell you, I think you will get a lot of value out of this conversation. So all that I'm going to ask is that you give it a try, give it a listen, and then you can decide for yourself if you want to tune out. So we would love to hear some feedback. Tell me if I'm wrong. If I'm wrong, please let me know. Just shoot me a message on Instagram at coach underscore Mike underscore Milner and tell me that this was just not at all helpful or tell me if I'm right because I think I am. That's usually the case. In my almost 39 years on this earth, more often than not, I am right. Although it's not important to be right as much as it is to be useful or helpful. So that's what I want to know. Is this useful? Is this helpful? Um, I think that Ali is doing some incredible work in the industry. I think we need more people like her to destigmatize the discussion around boner talk and uh, men's health and the fact that our testosterone levels are plummeting across the board year over year, that we don't talk about it enough. It's it's considered weak or it's not alpha to talk about these type of issues like low testosterone or any sort of erectile dysfunction that may be a, a result or a symptom of low testosterone. But as you'll learn, there are several other symptoms that are associated with it. And what can we do about it? How can we naturally increase our testosterone levels? Um, how can we support and optimize our health? This is what we're discussing. Uh, go ahead and give Ali a follow on Instagram. Her handle is at the Ali Gilbert, that's the A-L-I-G-I-L-B-E-R-T. And uh, tag us both if you share this to your stories on Instagram. And the other thing that we would love it if you did for us would be to leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts for a chance to win. So the very next episode that releases, I will be picking a winner from this week's five-star reviews. All you have to do is open up the podcast app on your phone, Apple Podcasts, pull it up. Go to the search bar, type in Mind Over Macros, click on the thumbnail, scroll down until you see the ratings and reviews, tap on write a review, say a little something, submit your five-star review, and you're eligible to win a supplement of your choice from one of our sponsors, Cured or Organifi, or you can pick something from our pop line, and that's it. If you tag me in your stories, you also are eligible to win the Five-star review winner is announced live on the show. The Instagram winner is DM'd directly, but I have to be tagged in order to message you or to know that you submitted an entry. 
So that's how it works. That's how, that's what we do every single week. Go ahead and subscribe to the show. Make sure you follow. That's how we keep growing. We are getting some major traction right now. I've got an incredible lineup of guest interviews. Ali is no exception. This conversation was amazing and I'll shut up and let you enjoy. All right. What's up, everybody? I'm joined today by another special guest. I have Allie Gilbert on the show. And uh, Allie, let's talk about biceps and boners, shall we? <laughs> another special guest. I thought I'm the only special guest. Yeah, the specialist. <laughs> <laughs> What's special. going on? It was so great to meet you in person finally last week because I think we've been social friends via Sam Miller for a while. I know. It was been. It was weird to like... I had a couple of moments where I saw people that I've been connected with and the in-person face didn't register right away. And I felt so bad. And I was like, Hey, Oh, now I got it. And yeah. So, Oh uh, yeah, I know. That's always so funny. Cause like people are like, Hey, you know, so great to meet you. And I'm like, Mm, and like, cause their profile pic is like their dog. It's not right. them. And you have no idea who they are. And you're like, cool. Yeah, totally. No. <laughs> yeah. But it was, it was an awesome time. And your presentation in particular stood out to me. Uh, I wish I, I'm, I'm excited to get the recordings because there were several that I wanted to see that I didn't get a chance to just because I was also presenting and uh, doing some work and things like that. But uh, yours was not only informative and relevant, but also highly hilarious. <laughs> the, um, Thank you. Yeah. So I would love to, so your specialty, you work primarily with men, you specialize in helping men get jacked and increase their testosterone levels. And it's something that uh, is pretty well documented, the decline of the modern male and our testosterone levels and everything like that. But I would love to hear just like your origin story, how you got into the industry and then how you found that path uh, in, in working with men. Um, so I'm, I call myself like an OG because I graduated with an exercise science degree, which is not the norm nowadays. It used to be like pretty much everybody. So I went to Springfield College and I was like, yeah, I want to work with athletes, just like anybody who graduates with an exercise phys degree. And I like minored in strength and conditioning, or that's what my focus was. So everybody wants to train athletes. The problem, at least back then, like my internship in collegiate sports was maybe you make 15,000 when you come out. So I'm like, cool, I have to kind of pay the bills too. So the town I grew up in, Greenwich, Connecticut, happens to be a fairly wealthy, well-off town. Um, I always preface this with I grew up normal. So a lot of uh, people had money there. So I was like, cool, I'll just work in one of the gyms here because um, I was working at a Velocity Sports Performance, which has, they still are around, but it was franchised differently and they had folded. So I went to a commercial gym in Greenwich and we have nine golf clubs in Greenwich. And I was like getting all the wall street guys. And I was like, Oh, golf is a sport. I could train golfers. And there's a certification for that from the Titleist performance Institute. So in 2008, I went all in, went every single level that Titleist offered for fitness professionals. And I was the golf fitness pro in Greenwich and trained only guys who played golf. And they were very type A and they cared a lot about golf and a little bit about fat loss. And then slowly it was the opposite where they cared more about fat loss and not so much about golf. And I was training mostly guys. And I was like, 
This is interesting because a lot of these guys never go to the doctor and they're taking all these random testosterone boosters off the shelves and basically not knowing what they're doing or why, uh, but they just do it. And I was like, nobody's really kind of cornered the men's health market in that sense. Like there was a lot of female coaches, a lot of people that specialized in female fat loss. And my business coach at the time, Tom Plummer, he was like, listen, just take all the men's hormone stuff and just run with it because there's no women doing men's health. And I was like, cool. So pretty much learned as much as I could about men's health. I attended medical conferences. I spoke at medical conferences. I developed relationships with doctors just to understand their process. And here we are 2023. <laughs> Think about that for a minute. Um, I do, you know, remote coaching now online for fitness and nutrition with primarily men after coaching people in person for about 20 years. And I love what I do. Amazing. I love it. Uh, you mentioned during your presentation, some shocking statistics about the rate of decline in testosterone levels for men. Actually, before I, I asked, so I was going to ask the question on like, what do you think has been the biggest disruptor in that? And, and why has it been uh, such a, a drastic change and continuously getting worse? Uh, but I would, I kind of want to take a step back and, and, the men that you were working with in the beginning, what I what I find about like the the fitness industry, the diet industry, is that we tend to believe that women are the most susceptible in their like state of emotional vulnerability. Somebody who has fat to lose, and if you speak to a woman about like, hey, we're gonna get this fat off of your body, you're gonna feel energetic, you're gonna you know have this vibrancy, this uh, you're gonna feel you know stronger, more toned, leaner. There's there's this trigger that happens mentally. And I think we sometimes ignore the fact that men have that same emotional trigger, but it's just from a different lens. Uh, what do you find those emotional triggers are for men? Because you mentioned testosterone boosters and immediately I'm thinking of like the marketing language of test boosters or seeing the commercials with like Frank Thomas on them. Like you're going to be able to perform better and have a better erection and like all these things that you know, what are those emotional triggers that you found for your male clients that really got them to, you know what, I'm going to spend money on these, you know, garbage supplements that don't work? So the, that's a great question. Um, the, the, the triggers that are similar have to do with body fat storage. Like guys, literally, when they store fat in their love handles or their stomach, it really drives them nuts. They just don't talk about it the way women do. So you can literally talk about belly fat and it'll resonate with a woman and she'll talk about it and she'll talk about it with her friends. Guys might bring that up. They might be like, yeah, I got to get rid of this, but they don't talk about how it actually affects them. And they get affected by stepping on the scale and it not telling them what they want or looking a certain way. And the way that guys carry body fat is a little bit different than women. But when it shows up in the female pattern, love handles, hips, chest, stuff like that then that is something that they're like, oh, this could be a hormonal thing. And that's when they think, well, I need to increase my testosterone. Now, men hate going to the doctor. So they're not going to go to the doctor. They're going to go to the GNC or the vitamin shop. And they're going to say, yeah, give me whatever is going to make me more of a guy to take over the counter because they don't want to talk about it because they don't want to admit that there might be a problem. Guys don't want to rely on something. And this comes up in discussing testosterone replacement because they don't want to feel like they've succumbed to something or they've been defeated by their own natural process or the 
environmental onslaught. So the emotional trigger of they may be less of a man, they may not be performing at their best, they may not be having that same drive and motivation and winning mentality is what really motivates them to seek some sort of help. Because usually socially, low T is associated with erection issues or boner problems and stuff like that. And guys think, well, my dick works, so I might have probably normal testosterone, but it might be something else. When in fact, you could literally obtain all day erections and still have low testosterone because it affects guys in many other ways. And like you mentioned, emotionally, it it, it is a massive, massive um, reflection of their cognitive ability and their emotional health if they have low testosterone. So that's just something to take in consideration because they usually associate it with the penis. Yeah. It's not always that. Yeah. A lot of that is is relatable. I know for me, the first place I gain weight is my love handles and lower back. And it drives me nuts, like especially the lower back fat. I'm like, why does that yep. happen? <laughs> and I always say that I, I say it all the time to my fiance. I'm like, if I could just disperse it across my body, it'd be totally fine. But of course it all has to be right there. Um, and then my fiance's son just started, he's he's 14. He just got into lifting and he's like obsessed, goes to the gym all the time, is like waking up at 5 a.m. before school to go lift. And he just got really passionate about it. And he keeps coming to me like, I still have man boobs. How do I get rid of these man boobs? Mm. <laughs> like, you're, Fortunately, he's 14. He's got plenty of time to develop his chest. But um, what have you found? Because I find that similar thing that, that we're just not that open about it. We don't want to talk about it. How, what have you found that has allowed men to approach you and be more vulnerable and transparent in, in just communicating about those, those emotional triggers or emotional vulnerabilities? Um, it, it's funny because they, they tell me that I'm very easy to, to talk to about these things. And I literally quoted someone I did a consult with last week where he was like, you know, it's just really easy to talk to you about this. And I, sometimes I want to be like, why? But I don't want them to like think I'm fishing for a compliment or something. But I, I don't try to be a certain way. I think the fact that I'm just very honest with them and direct is what invites them to trust me. So the fact that um, I think men are simple in the sense that you have to tell direct instruction for anything. So providing clear, effective instructions uh, of what you want them to do or what you want them to say um, usually works the best. So when I just go right at them, I'm like, hi, how's your sex drive? You know, or what a lot of guys don't understand is, is as they're younger, they like I was saying, they may associate anything penis related to testosterone, but they may be suffering the effects of low T that have to do with just sexual performance causing some of the mental issues. If you cannot perform with your partner, then that's going to have like this compounding effect on your confidence and your anxiety and all of those things to where it's not the ability to obtain erection physically, it's their emotional capability to allow themselves to obtain an erection because they think that they're not going to be able to perform. And that is something that I don't think anyone asks them. And it's not like the first question I ask, you know, hey, Mike, uh, how's your boner? Are you having erection problems? I actually get to know you first. So people usually know what they're getting into when they talk to me because the way I talk on my social media is the same as I am in person or in a consultation. And so providing that safe space, but understanding and listening and letting them know they're not alone 
usually will allow them to open up and make them feel comfortable. But that's something I get asked a lot. And I don't think there's any specific way I go about it or question that I ask that opens the floodgates. I think it's just providing a place for them to talk about it, but also being open about it on social and just saying, hey, you could be 28 and having low T issues. And that's pretty common, even though it's not normal. It's just pretty common. I want you to know you're not alone. You have every right to understand how you function as a guy and you have every right to function optimally as a guy. And I'm also not their wife or their partner to where they don't want to admit a weakness or that maybe something is wrong because it kind of positions them as maybe not being so manly. And I'm also not pushing them to go see a doctor or nagging. You know what I mean? It's, it's similar to coaching. Like I have my husband work with somebody else. I am not going to coach him. It just does not work when you're in the family or you're really close. Like you have to outsource that type of stuff. So same type of deal with those conversations. Do you find that they do withhold that information from their partners, assuming that's the relationship dynamic, wife, girlfriend, spouse, whatever it may be? Um, do you find that they're keeping that information behind closed doors, that they're that you encourage them to bring that up to their partners? Because we have a lot of women that listen to the show, and I'm sure that there are some right now that are like, I wonder if if my husband or boyfriend is struggling and they just haven't told me. Like, do you find that that's the case? They're not as as open. And is that something that you work through and having them communicate that stuff with their partners? I will talk about it to in a certain extent with them. I'll ask, like, do you discuss this? How open are you? Most of them are pretty open and have developed the communication skills. It's just to the extent that maybe they admit something's wrong or how it affects them that they don't maybe want to burden their partner or they don't want them to think it's her fault. And that's a big thing too, especially when it comes to sexual performance. Like they don't want the woman to think that it's her fault or, you know, something with his inability to achieve a full erection or even keep it has anything to do with their partner. And that's kind of what adds to the anxiety and stuff like that. So I think men's mental health has become a lot bigger subject in the past few years, especially as the pandemic, because during like 2020, so many guys were questioning like their, not their manhood, but they were questioning like their testosterone levels. And if they're on testosterone, they're questioning their protocol because of the compounding effects stress had from the pandemic on their ability to really do anything. So I don't think they really withhold it purposely. I just think that it's not something they're necessarily comfortable with talking about because they may be afraid that their partner is going to be like, we'll go to the doctor. And that's really not what what they want to do because they may go to the wrong doctor or a guy who will dismiss them or something of that nature. Yeah. Or they may see it as a sign of weakness. And you, you mentioned that it can manifest like low testosterone. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're having boner issues or performance issues. That can be one way that it manifests, but there can be other ways. There can be other symptoms. What do you feel like is the root of all of this? Is it because I always look at stress as like the great disruptor of all things normal or homeostasis, like anything, an abundance of stress is going to be the, the main disruptor in in some way. But then you look at how we've advanced and we are in a day and age with more convenience and comfort than ever before. We don't have to worry about, uh, for most people, where our next meal is coming from. And um, typically we've, we've advanced in the form of convenience and comfort, but yet 
we see this decline, which you would think would be associated with higher stress. Like, where do you think the pattern began or what is the root cause of, of these symptoms that we're seeing? I think it's a, it's a combination of technology, uh, sedentary lifestyle, because the, the stat of the decline was a 1% per year, the last 40 years. So I'm 41. So basically around 1980, 81 is when a lot of this started rapidly declining. And that was kind of the onset of um, technology that made things more convenient. So my my first cell phone was 1999 when I graduated high school <laughs> and now kids like have them. Um, but but the uh, inability to really or the there's no need to move as much as we used to contributes to having more body fat. I mean, I don't think it's any secret that we struggle as a country where we have access to most information or more information than anybody on the planet, more weight loss drugs, more education. So it's really, it's not a lack of that. It's just a lack of the ability to actually do these things that we're getting bigger and bigger and more unhealthy. So the unhealthier a man is, the less his body's going to want to produce the hormone that keeps them a man because the body is under threat at that time where it's like, oh, well, I'm not going to procreate because I'm highly inflamed. I'm going to suppress the production of testosterone because we don't want to instigate him going to search for a mate because we don't have a healthy body that we're living in right now. So a lot of that contributes to that. Uh, The overall onslaught of environmental stuff where it used to be like super dorky to carry stainless steel and glass. And now it really is necessary. So they've done, um, and they being, uh, like Dr. Shanna Swan, who's awesome. She was on Joe Rogan a while ago. She wrote this book called countdown where she was talking about tons of literature and studies they've done to show that sperm productions also declined about 59% in the last uh, 40 years or 60 years. Um, And she was so skeptical of this stuff that she researched it herself and found that plastic exposure to a woman who's pregnant can affect a man's sperm count as a guy, as as he becomes an adult, which is like super far-fetched and seems crazy. But Exposure to these plastics that are called endocrine disrupting chemicals literally bind to receptors in a man's body, making him think he's just an overabundance of estrogens and very potent, powerful, fake estrogens that basically feminize him. But while he's in the womb, it feminizes him to the extent that now men are being born with maybe undescended testicles or one testicle, one ovary. They don't have the exposure to testosterone that guys did when we were growing up. So if you don't have that exposure, then you're not going to grow up with the same traits, physical, mental, emotional, as you would a stereotypical man. So that's a big problem. So now we have guys who are in their 20s and and early 30s with lower testosterone levels than ever. And it used to be a generational decline of people in their 40s and 50s. And now we're seeing it in guys in their 20s and 30s. So where are we going to end up in 50 years? Like, that's pretty damn scary. So we can't eliminate exposure to a lot of these chemicals and a lot of these toxic things, but we can mitigate it by just little diet or dietary and lifestyle habits, switching out plastic for glass, switching it out for stainless steel, food quality, making sure that we're healthy, we're exercising. It's like all the basic shit that we just keep beating 
but nobody really listens. But we're starting to get there. But this is where a lot of it comes from. And it is absolutely crazy to think, okay, a guy's being born with less testosterone exposure and maybe female and male parts, but we have the data to prove it. There's data to show 20% of guys who were deficient in testosterone are men in their in 25 to 35 age range. We never had that problem. And now we do. So it, it is a big problem. Like we can't avoid it. I don't know the solution, but I just, I know what I tell my guys, which is to do the very basic things, but it's crazy. It, it, I obviously get very worked up because it is a problem. Yeah, no, it was funny as you were, as you were explaining all of that immediately, my brain is going to, here we go again. The basics are what work It's tried and true, like maintain a healthy body weight, eat quality foods, you know, move your body, lift some weights, uh, take care of environmental toxins and reduce stress as much as you can. There's like certain things that we, we hammer them over and over again for a reason. And and then there's there's also the part of like, let's not chronically underfeed ourselves either. And I think that's something that you talk about a lot because when I started doing this podcast, when I started coaching, I was very open and transparent about my diet history and how I did the 1200 calorie meal plans. I did the 1600 calorie diets. I did everything I could to starve myself lean and it never worked. And I always gained the weight back. And I was just very transparent about it. Like, hey, this was what I did. It was really stupid. It didn't work. It left me in a worse spot than ever. It fucked with me mentally. And a lot of women were like, it's so refreshing to hear a man talking about this. And I always felt like, well, I guess I'm the only one, but you mentioned it in your talk. Is that more common than we think? And is it just that like, men fall into that same trap? They're just not as vocal about it? Oh, 100%. I mean, I laugh because I think the analogy I gave, like for for uh, Mike Mike T. Nelson gave the origin of where 1,200 calories for women being the ultimate diet number, um, which I totally forget what the origin was. But for guys, it's like 1850. And he and I talked about this on a podcast because we literally said it at the same time. We're like the man number is 1850, like at the same time. I don't know where that came from. Um, and I don't know if if guys like read that, but they also don't know that this happens all the time. So I will preface this to like the, the clientele that I tend to attract is more guys, 20, 25% body fat and lower. So I don't get people who are like very obese. So that, that is probably a different, um, approach, but, but the guys that I get usually have under eaten and overtrained and are trying to starve themselves lean like you did. And then that doesn't work. And, and the guys approach Women will, it's similar in the sense that women will starve and add cardio and then continue to starve and then add cardio. Guys will do the same thing, except they'll be like, well, now I have to bulk because once they get leaner, they realize they don't have as much muscle as they thought. So they're like, I'm small. I need to get bigger. But then they excessively eat because you cannot force feed muscle to grow just like you cannot force fat to be lost if you go into these drastic surpluses compared to these drastic deficits. So then they get fat and then they're like, well, now I'm too fat and beach season's coming up. So I have to diet all of this off. So they, you know, go through a hard diet, uh, crash diet, all the fat comes off, they're back to where they started. 
So it's this, it's a vicious cycle that's very similar to what women go through. But I literally can show you the chronometer of all my guys when they start. I am like, what are you doing eating less than 2000 calories? And these are men who are like six foot plus, 200 plus pounds, like have a great frame. They look amazing. And then when I increase their calories over the course of time and match it to their training and they don't look sloppy, they're like, holy shit. And then a year later, they're dieting on like what their max calorie amount was before they came to me. Like it's hilarious. So guys absolutely have that. They have the knee jerk reactions with the scale or their body fat, and then they get emotional. I think the difference is I can tell them to shut the fuck up. Whereas when I used to tell women that, like they didn't really respond to that so well. My coach tells me stuff like that. So there's, I think a certain personality type that is receptive to that type of talk. Again, some guys I have to coddle a little bit more, but um, usually most of them I can give them shit because they don't even realize it. They're like, wow, because I'll always ask that. And you probably ask this too. What did you learn when you first tracked your food? And they're like, well, I didn't realize how low my protein was and how little I was eating. And I was like, yeah. And that's when you tracked it. (laughs) Absolutely. And it, it speaks like almost to a T what my situation was when I was my absolute leanest, I was like 165 pounds. And I only have one single picture that I ever took at that weight. Cause I was like, I have no muscle. I'm just like, what Skinny the hell? Fat. I look like a boy. This is ridiculous. And then I, that was like right around the time where I discovered macros and I was a, a full on believer on the IIFYM. Like yeah. I'm going to eat all the shit that I possibly can because I had just overcome like orthorexia. So I like swung the pendulum hard in the other direction and went up to like 42, 4,400 calories, was gaining body fat, just try. I was like, well, now I have to put on muscle cause I'm small and then get <laughs> a bunch of weight back. And it like the exact cycle that you're talking about was my <laughs> reality. Um, I'm very, very proud of myself for the, the picture that I paint in, in my talk talking about that because it literally is like when you sit in the audience and someone says something that makes it seem like they're talking to you, I remember the first time a guy was like, I thought you were talking about me. I'm like, oh, yes, I nailed it, you know, because I'm not a man. So there is so much I can understand. But like that is literally like the typical man plan. And it's hilarious. And then you you see guys like that at the gym. And it's dependent upon like what their mood is that day as to whether they will tell you they're bulking or they're cutting or what they look like that day. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Um, So I'm curious about the process of we can use the same avatar. We could talk about somebody who's just experiencing symptoms of low testosterone. Um, I think that there's, you know, we work with a lot of women, a lot of women come to us with perceived hormonal issues. And that's not to like discount any, anything that you're experiencing. It's just to say that 99% of the time, it's something that we can work through with just nutrition, training, lifestyle. And all of a sudden the, the hormonal issues are no longer a thing. Now there's the rare exception where there's something going on that needs a little bit more testing and more of an advanced protocol. But for most people, if we just take care of the basics, like we've been talking about, a lot of that stuff will rectify itself. I want to take a brief pause in this conversation with Ali to talk about something that I haven't talked about in a while. You guys know I love my Organifi products. You know that the crisp apple green juice is part of my morning routine. You know that the Gold chocolate juice is part of my evening routine. By the way, Mel and I discovered a little hack with the gold chocolate. So what we did was we did our normal gold chocolate routine, which is you heat up some almond milk, you put some gold juice, you froth it up or stir it up, 
Um, and that's how we usually have drink it. But we added just a touch of Splenda. And for, for those of you who are anti-artificial sweeteners, maybe I shouldn't be saying this because Organifi doesn't put anything artificial in their products, but it was just a tiny touch of Splenda and added this little bit of, of sweetness that was just so perfect. Uh, it was worth, like, I'm talking about like a quarter of a packet, if that. So not much. Uh, and and just remember that the the poison is always in the dose. So if you're consuming these things in moderation, you're totally fine, in my opinion. But anyway, the one thing that I wanted to say is that the Organifi green juice, I talk about the insurance policy, right? Getting in your your micronutrients, getting in your vegetables, your servings of vegetables. Um, I talk about the uh, the added benefit of starting your day with a quality habit. I talk about these things all the time. The thing that I haven't talked about in a while, which is incredibly important, I, I don't know why I've left this out of my little my little promo here, which is the taste. I have tried plenty of green juices or uh, any of those type of you know micronutrient green juice type of drinks powders i've tried all different flavors they all taste like crap in my experience i'm not going to name names but i'm just saying that i've gone through the full gamut of different products that tried to to create the magic that organifi has and none of them came close to the taste especially the crisp apple it is delicious it's refreshing it's just water and my green juice and that is all that i need and it's a beautiful way to start the day. And you know, being a Mind Over Macros listener, you get 20% off the Organifi products. You go to Organifi.com slash popfam. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com slash P-O-P-F-A-M. Use code popfam at checkout. Get 20% off. The little pop bundle that I've just made up is the Organifi green crisp apple juice and then it's not apple juice. It's crisp apple green juice and the gold chocolate. That's the pop bundle that you should start with. Get 20% off, but then branch out, try some of their other products, try the red juice, try the pure, try the, the balance, try their vegan protein powder. If you want that, give their products a try because you will not be disappointed in the quality, in the taste. And uh, yeah, I can't recommend it enough. Organifi.com slash pop fam. Use code POPFAM for 20% off, and let's get back to the conversation with Ali Gilbert. Can you talk about the process for the men that you're working with that come in and maybe there are symptoms of low testosterone? At what point do we say, okay, we've tried everything naturally, and maybe we need to consider something like TRT? Uh, what are kind of the steps that you take to to tease that out and be like, okay, we, we know that we can fix this with just some lifestyle changes and, and just your process for handling that? Sure. Yeah. Um, let me start by saying with, with the ladies listening, I understand what it's like to feel like you're a special snowflake and it can be a hormonal thing. I was that person, even as a fitness professional, I was that person. That's why I hired my coach, Luke Lehman, five years ago. I was on 1100 calories for, I don't know, three years, maybe. <laughs> and I would do stupid shit like fast and do cardio twice a day. And like, I just, I couldn't drop weight. And I didn't know why. And I came to him because I was like, I'm out of guesses. You know, I, I need to understand this process. And 
he automatically had me eating at maintenance or above. And I freaked out because I gained two pounds. Yeah. So it's funny to look back on because he totally makes fun of me now because I make fun of myself. I'm like, wow, I was that person because I was like, what what issue? What special metabolic syndrome do I have now? Granted, I did have breast implants, which I then got out, which helped. But a lot of people think they can't have carbs. They can't do this, blah, blah, blah. And I, I did make an infographic that the statement was women think they can't lose weight because of their thyroid. Men think they can't drop drop weight or body fat because of their testosterone. So we like to blame it on things. And honestly, if you take a 10 women in a room or 10 guys in a room, and I actually have a couple guys who had thyroid issues that had to get addressed. It didn't really move the dial all that much. Same with women. If they go on on thyroid medication, it's not necessarily going to move the needle to the effect of like an illegal fat burner, but we want it to. <laughs> we want it to think that it will. So if anything, if you are hypothyroid, which I am, I take a uh, uh, thyroid medication, you might have to eat less than the majority of earth. So just keep that in mind, but that doesn't mean eat way less than where you should be. So big caveat there. Anyway, back to what the process is. So if a man comes to me, which usually he's like, I don't feel great. I don't look the way I want. I'm not sure if it's my testosterone. I'm not sure what the next step is. I will assess everything from the start. If they have blood work, cool. Let me see what's going on. It's a very heavy intake and questions of childhood trauma, like everything they've been through, because everything you know is tied to what you go through in adulthood. So the more data, the better. I take food log. I take um, if they'll give me like blood glucose, HRV, resting heart rate, blood pressure, any of that stuff, give it to me. So knowing their dieting history is probably going to be the best thing. And this goes for women as well, because if you have a history of eating next to nothing, at some point, you're just going to have to go through the sucky part, which is gaining a little bit of weight. And I would say the max amount is like six pounds. It's not this like explode into body fat that everyone thinks it's going to be six pounds. I'm five, three, like that's a lot on my frame, but it wasn't earth shattering, even though I thought it was. So a lot of my guys, same as the women, I feel fluffy. I know just push through it. It's fine. So guys will maybe gain like, you know, maximum like 10 pounds, but it's really like six to eight pounds as well because it's more food. So if you stand on a scale, Mike, and I hand you six chicken breasts, obviously the scale is going to go up. You have more food in your body. You usually are eating more carbs. Carbs bring water with them. So for every gram of carbs, we have three grams of water attached to it. That's why it's called a carbohydrate that's going to cause water increase, does not mean it's body fat. So out of the six pounds someone gains, maybe it's like a pound of fat and then it's glycogen, it's food, it's poop, and then maybe some muscle in there. Just keeping that in mind. So once they get through the freak out point, which I preface everything, but everyone seems to forget that I said, hey, you're going to gain weight. So we get through that. We get them to a place where now we're training enough, but not too much. Stress is managed depending on their job and sleep and all of that stuff. Then everything else from a metric standpoint has their resting heart rate come down. 
Is their blood pressure coming down? Stuff like that. That usually starts with front-loading their program with aerobic conditioning, which every man seems to think will make their muscles melt and they'll lose all of it the next day. Not true. Aerobic fitness literally is the platform for your ability to recover, to sleep better, to produce more red blood cells, to carry oxygen to your body, to be able to eat more. So many people are deconditioned in that sense that I'll just throw that at them initially because then once we're through it after eight to 10 weeks, we don't really have to touch it again. We can sprinkle in all the fun, high intensity stuff to maintain that fitness level if we want. Then we move into more hypertrophy, which is going to give them that denser look and that harder muscular look. And then we play around with the food. And so what I talked about in my talk was that initially I'll usually go low carb to allow for those adaptations to take place aerobically so somebody can really start burning fat. Then as somebody gets leaner, I add carbs. And this is what Luke did with me. So this can apply to women as well. Because the leaner somebody is, the more insulin sensitive they are, meaning that their body does not see carbohydrates as inflammatory. So the body can handle more. So we start feeding them more carbs as they get leaner because their body can now use them a lot more efficiently. And then we just basically cycle through hypertrophy and strength work until the end of time. And we slowly see their body change. So it, it really is a longer process than most people want it to be. A lot of us want fat loss and muscle gain yesterday. I'll tell you what, if you put in a year to at least build this platform, then it becomes so much easier. And once you can eat enough, drop body fat the right way, you really don't have to go through the sucky part of gaining a mass amount in our mind, six to eight pounds, and go through that part where it's a struggle to eat a lot more ever again. So once you lose it once the right way, you're good versus most of earth likes to lose it really quick and then they gain more plus interest and then they have to take time to get that off, but they don't take the time. So they do it really quick again and then we gain more plus interest. So it's um, obviously I can go on for hours about this whole process, but that's kind of the gist of it and what I do with guys. And as far as testosterone, then we can check their test levels after we've actually gotten them to a more healthy place and see, how, are they symptomatic? Because this is something they're going to have to go through no matter what, it, unless they want to go on testosterone right away. But I always encourage them to find the root cause. Like, is this stress related? Is this age related? Or is it because you're just so unhealthy that we have to get you to a point where your body is actually going to respond really well to testosterone? So let's go through this first. So it, it is contextual, but that's kind of generally what that process looks like. I'm, I'm interested in that first phase where you're building aerobic capacity, going a little bit lower carb, trying to drop some body fat. Is there any part of that that's more psychological driven for men who are more goal oriented and want to see results and like just to get the quick win to be like, hey, you're dropping weight and the scale's moving. And, and is there any part of that to increase the buy-in? It can be because that is something like you get that water drop and then it's very encouraging. I'll use that like if I if I start them and when I say low carb, a lot of guys think no carb, but low can be 50 grams or it can be like 150 depending on who it is. 
and it's it's how deep in the hole are they and stuff like that. So say I start somebody around like 50 to 75 and they're eating like 200 plus, but their protein was really low. Um, that will give them more energy eating more protein and eating more food overall. So then they'll get like the I have more energy and I dropped weight by an effect. So it does have a physiological purpose to it, but that is part of it as well. Cause that, that is like our, you know, secret where you can drop water really quick, but it does allow their body to drive, uh, fat into their cells and to build more mitochondria so they can handle more food overall. And sometimes it will play along with what they think is the best. Cause a lot of them will think, you know, Oh, I work well with low carb. Cool. We'll keep you that way. Yeah. So, so I'm going to ask a, a personal selfish question, which is, I play tennis two times a week for 90 minutes and I don't do any other cardio except for walking. Am I getting in enough cardio? <laughs> so tennis is actually really hard if people play it. So it's singles or doubles? Uh, usually it's a drill, so it's mostly doubles. So still, I would consider that like lower intensity. And honestly, like that, that's great. And if you're walking every day, I think that's definitely plenty. So it really depends on what the goal is. I think that if people are on testosterone, they should definitely do cardio because it's going to help everything work. And if they're on testosterone plus other things, absolutely. If they're not on testosterone and you have a very poor aerobic fitness, I think absolutely. Like there's nothing that's going to be wrong about trying to become super aerobic, like super conditioned, unless you're trying for ultra endurance and then Yes, that might deplete your testosterone and cause a little bit of muscle mass loss. But from the overall, is it enough? I, it depends on what you want to do. Um, I want enough to just be like relatively conditioned and uh, not have to do dedicated cardio that I dislike. What would, what would be like an example of a protocol that you would give to somebody? And I know that it always depends on the person, but if you could just give me like a sample of somebody who's starting with uh, more of a lower cardio base and you're trying to build them up, um, where would you start? So I'd ask them what they're willing to do. And usually the answer is anything. And I'm like, cool. Then I really find out what the answer is. So in a perfect world, if somebody had 90 minutes a day to dedicate to low intensity, that would be cool. The problem with low intensity is that the volume has to be very long because it's low intense. So 30 minutes, I think Joel Jameson said, would be like the absolute minimum to get some lower intensity, steady state, or even walking. Though I don't really, I, I want to differentiate walking as a form of neat versus structured exercise. So if you literally are like, I'm going to go for an hour walk, I would consider that more exercise versus neat. Neat is like you're doing laundry, you're walking, doing errands, stuff like that. So I asked them what, what, how much time they have, what they're willing to do. If we have to break stuff up, we can. So if somebody does not have time for 90 minutes a day, which I would say the majority of earth does not, fine. We will roll it into their training, especially for my guys who are like power lifter style strength guys who really, really hate cardio. Like if you come to me and you're like, I don't want to fucking do this shit. I'll hide it. And I'll be like, don't worry, I got you. So the reps will probably be a little bit higher, 12 to 15, 15 to 20. It sucks, but you feel like you're doing something. You're sweating a lot. The rest periods are going to be shorter. So it it's more metabolic, but because it's 
higher rep, it's going to be a little bit more aerobic with the adaptations. Or I'll do something like, say you love lifting heavy. Is that what you love to do? Not at all. <laughs> Not at all? Okay. I, I like, Bad example. That's all right. I, I, there was a time where that would have been the answer, yes, but I've I've stopped ego lifting and just more focused on like, I like bodybuilding. Let me get in, do like feel my muscles working, feel the pump and get out. Yeah. So guys who like to sling some heavyweight, not necessarily one RMs, but like, if you're like, you know, I like to feel something heavy five by five and then have them circuit through like three exercises. So say you do front squat, five sets of five. Cool. Then you move on to like a dumbbell push press a dumbbell row, and then like, you know, RDL. So those three exercises, you're doing three reps, but you're doing as many rounds as possible. So men love competition. Let's see if you can beat so-and-so. Let's see if you can beat your time or whatever, how many rounds. So something like that, because then it's like, quote, hidden cardio. Um, then if they want to do something on a cardio machine, like an assault bike or a rower, I have some guys that absolutely love that stuff then it can be if they choose, if they have the time to do just straight cardiac output, which is a half hour straight, watch Netflix, do whatever. Cool. If they don't really have as much time, then it would be more of an aerobic protocol where it'd be like 30 seconds on with four minutes rest, which seems very high intense, but then the recovery is inherently aerobic. And then that will help get us to the point that we need to be in combination with the higher reps. So that's usually where I'll start. I just have to see what are you willing to do? How much time do you have? And what can we do? And if I can get them to do some of the lower intensity stuff for the first eight weeks, then it's a lot better. Um, then I tell them, listen, it's only going to be like for eight weeks. Cool. If you only have two days to train, that might be tough. But if you have like three days or four days, and then we train two days and those other two days are going to be dedicated aerobic work, we're not going to lose our muscles. We're not going to melt. Like it's okay. Yeah. It makes a lot of <laughs> sense. Um, how frequently are you seeing that men will use TRT as a band-aid to lifestyle? Like I'm overweight. I maybe got my blood work done. Doctor says I have low testosterone. I have poor habits. I'm not eating well, but rather than do all that, I would rather just go take a shot of testosterone. So my personal clients, not so much because they've been trained. Um, I see it a lot, like in the forums that I'm a moderator in for, for testosterone on Facebook. And generally like there, for some reason, they think it's a panacea. Like you just said, all those ailments, well, I'll take testosterone. All right, cool. You, they go and take testosterone. It backfires. It doesn't do shit for any of those ailments. And they, they sometimes feel worse actually, because the healthier that you are, the better you're going to feel. Because if you're in a body that's inflamed and suppressing this hormone for a reason, and then you add that hormone it doesn't want, then yeah, you might have some side effects. So I see it all the time too, when guys go on and they're like, so what's the best protein shake for TRT? How do I train on TRT? How do I do this on TRT? And, and my answer is like the same as if you were off TRT. Now, granted, training might be a little different. Like it does augment recovery. But again, we're talking therapeutic dose. We're not talking like super physiological. So it, it will help them to recover better in the gym, but they don't turn into the Hulk tomorrow. 
trust me, I have a lot of guys trying to do that training five days, four days a week or whatever. So it's more managing the expectations of when they do go on of what's going to happen, which is usually nothing, (laughs) like nothing to write home about. So, you know, they always ask it. I always find it funny or they'll have um, random side effects. Like they'll start sneezing or have diarrhea. And they're like, did anyone else have this from TRT? And and it's just the weirdest shit. Like my ear started ringing. Is that from TRT? No. <laughs> when do you find it's it's appropriate to make that move or how do you help them? Obviously everybody's different and it's going to be case dependent, but what are some of the things that you consider when consulting with, with somebody who's considering TRT that they've checked all the boxes, they've got a strong foundation, they've gone through your protocol, they're feeling good, but maybe they're blood work is still not showing that their, you know, their T levels are where they should be. So I have that a a lot where guys like they literally are very symptomatic. And a lot of people think, well, I'm too young. Now we've talked about how guys can be in their twenties and have to be on testosterone and thirties and stuff like that. It's just understanding that, Hey, you know, it's okay. You're not like being defeated. And, and this is not something you're succumbing to. The, the biggest issue a lot of guys have actually is being reliant upon something the rest of their life because it is a lifelong commitment. Now, nothing bad is going to happen if you go on and then come off. Like you're not going to turn into uh, or nothing terminal will happen. You just may be lower than when you started and you won't feel as good. But it is something that you can come off. It's not like life sustaining. So a lot of them struggle with the thought of being uh, relying on medication the rest of their life. But once they get past that, because when they go on, they usually feel so good, they're not going to want to come off. So how do we get to that point? Are these symptoms resolved through better sleep, better nutrition, better exercise? No. Okay. Maybe then we just explore going on testosterone and and they have to get lab work beforehand because you have to determine why. And this is between primary hypogonadism, hypogonadism meaning like the gonads are not producing the hormone they should, or secondary hypogonadism. So primary LH, which is luteinizing hormone in men, stimulates testosterone production in the testicles. FSH, follicle stimulating hormone, produces sperm. If LH is really high, then that's primary hypogonadism. That means that the body is telling the testicles like, yo, I need testosterone, but you're not producing it due to some sort of trauma in the testicles. Maybe they've been kicked. They've had a varicocele, um, the older age. So that's where usually you'll see primary. Most guys have secondary, which means that it's some something with the signal of the brain down to the testicles and LH will be really low. So then it's determining, okay, now we have realized that you could be a very good candidate for testosterone replacement because if it's your brain and we've handled the stress and we've handled anything else it could be, then it's probably not going to get any better the older you get. So this could be worth exploring. And a lot of guys forget, like if they've had a concussion or if they're military and they've had a traumatic brain injury, that's going to disrupt that signal from the brain to the testicles. So a lot of guys, when they transition from the military, are handed like the military starter pack of like Adderall and Ambien and SSRIs and all of those things when all they really need is hormone replacement. Hormone replacement literally can replace the ability to explore antidepressants. 
So, and I'm talking testosterone and thyroid in conjunction with each other can really help a lot of depression. But as far as when to start them at is that's when it's usually the most appropriate. And then you have the discussion surrounding fertility. If that's something that they want to maintain, then there's a way that we can mitigate that through combining HCG with testosterone. And if they're done having kids or they don't want kids, then they can usually explore going on testosterone alone. So that's kind of when we, you know, decide that because I tell them, I'm like, listen, most guys that I've had go on it. Nobody's come off. If you're not comfortable right now, we can see what we do naturally for the next year or so. And then we go through that and more times than not, then they'll get labs again and their test is the same or it's lower. And I'm like, you can do all the right things. There's just no escaping all these inputs to bring those hormone levels down. And so that's when they're like, all right, but they have to like, you know, go through that fight first. And I'm all for that. Like I fully support doing everything they can from a lifestyle perspective. And I have had guys elevate their testosterone levels by getting their shit together. And then they've been able to put off the time that they do go on testosterone by a few years. So it can go both ways, but more often than not, they do end up on TRT at some point. How much of the over-the-counter supplements or the uh, supplements that are that you typically see associated with increases in testosterone, um, even even some of like the adaptogens like ashwagandha, um, you know, Tomcat Ali, or or I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but there's like all these different sub- supplements that are always promoted as either test boosters or naturally improve your testosterone. Uh, how much of that is BS and how much of that can actually help if it's combined with a healthy lifestyle? So things like, I, I will say, like if you're deficient in vitamin D, that's a big one. It can elevate testosterone levels, magnesium, um, zinc, boron, stuff like that. Now with, with the deficiencies, If you're deficient and you replete, then it can bring levels up, but it won't bring them past like where you should be. Um, The test boosters, like the Tonka LDs and all that stuff, that will work. So you'll, you'll see an elevation of tests on paper, but you may not feel any different and it may not last. So it, it, it works because they gave it to, you know, whatever rat or person, they saw the blood work. The levels went up. Cool. Now, they stay there. There's no studies showing how it it stays. And it does not go to the super physiological levels or levels that are worth getting to, like you would see with an actual testosterone. So, and testosterone replacement is literally bringing your body to the level that you should already be biologically producing. Don't really think that's going to be possible through some of these supplements. However, if you are deficient in a lot of the micronutrients and vitamins, then that can definitely help bring your levels up. But nothing's going to bring it to the level that testosterone will, even though they claim they will. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I have one other uh, one other question before I let you go. And you mentioned like TRT. A lot of people view it as a panacea, which you know there is no panacea unless we consider some of the basics and, and foundational things that we talk about as the panacea. But another thing that I hear a lot about are peptides and 
this seems to be like the new trending thing. There's peptides for everything and there's peptides to increase HGH. So you don't have to take HGH and there's peptides to grow your hair back. And I'm always skeptical of the fact that like, there's rarely ever free lunch. <laughs> there's always a cost somewhere. Um, are you familiar with some of the research behind peptides or uh, like, what's the deal with them? I don't really have a specific question that other than like, what the fuck is up with peptides? <laughs> so it's funny because like, I have heard people talk about them in ways where like, I don't know the claims that they heard or who told them, but they heard from like maybe a clinic or a doctor um, that there's like these super, super fat loss ones or super GH ones. And the peptide they talk about has nothing to do with what they're claiming it does. So I'm like, I don't know who's giving out this false info. There are a lot of peptides that are safe. There's a lot of peptides that are still being studied. All of them, I would say nobody knows like the super long effects, but I've been playing with them. Like I think back before they became super easy to get via prescription, I want to say like 2000, you know, 14, 13, like, I was ordering them online like everybody else as research chemicals. I don't know if they worked or not. Um, some of the growth hormone releasing ones are supposed to help with sleep and stuff like that. But for me, I would forget to take it or I would travel and you have to keep them refrigerated. It's a pain in the ass. So the ones that do work that I do have clients often get are BPC-157, which is it stands for body protective compound. And it does help heal things. If you have minor tears, if you've got issues like muscular issues, or if you're post-surgical or pre-surgical, or if you take it orally, it can help with ulcers and gut health and stuff like that. That definitely does work. A lot of my guys take that in combination also with TB500, which is another healing peptide. The most popular growth hormone one, and now growth hormone is like a bunch of amino acids the peptides is like maybe one amino acid off. Like that's how they differentiate it. Plus the price. I mean, growth hormone is really expensive. It's it's legal. People think it's illegal. It's legal. It's just like maybe three, four, five grand a month. Um, the peptides work by acting as growth hormone, signaling for that production to help with body composition and sleep and stuff like that. I have not had the patience to try the the GH one's long enough. So I don't know if they worked or not, but I have plenty of people who do take it and they're very consistent and they they seem to think that it works. Those tend to be the more popular ones. The, the hair growth one, I'm not so sure of. I don't know enough about it. Um, I'm trying now Melanotan too, because I live in Florida and feel like I should look like I live in Florida. And I do love spray tanning, but it's also annoying. So Melanotan allegedly allows your body to produce more melanin to look darker, to essentially be more tan all over. I just started that last week and it takes about two, three weeks to start kicking in. Um, and then there's um, gonna be there's so out many your, your content to see if you get darker over time. Yeah, I know. <laughs> like some people are like, oh, my freckles got really, really like pronounced. And then other people are like, yeah, I take that every summer. And I'm like, OK, so you look natural. I don't know if I need more freckles, but like whatever. If you stop taking it, it stops working. So, you know, um, but yeah, there's so many of them that honestly, I was like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to stop looking into all the peptides and I'm just going to defer to any of the physicians I work with who actually know more than I do about them 
and then they can handle it because they have them via nasal spray and trochies and sublingual and there's always one coming out. So they have them for anxiety and stuff like that. I've tried a bunch. I couldn't tell you if it worked on me or not. So I'm probably a bad example. But I have clients who do enjoy using the ones for sleep for like the growth hormone analogs. I have guys who are on growth hormone as well who can afford it. So um, I would say if anyone's looking into it, just try it, see if it works for you. And then if it doesn't, cool. Makes sense. I appreciate it. Um, well, this was super enlightening for me and I, I appreciate your time and wisdom. I would love for you to give everybody an opportunity to stay connected with you. Where can they follow you? Where can they uh, you know, stay up to date on all the things that you've got going on? So if you want to follow my tanning progress, uh, slide in my DMs on Instagram, the Allie Gilbert, A-L-I. That's pretty much where all my content is. And if you want to message me, uh, please don't hesitate. And if if the women listening are thinking, okay, my husband's on TRT, or if you want to get your husband on TRT or think he can benefit, please reach out to me. I can help you kind of facilitate that conversation or just dump my profile in his DMs. Uh, I can really help educate. So, but happy to help, you know, any way I can. Yeah, if you want your husbands to have bigger biceps and better boners, then Allie is the person that you contact. So I, yes. I appreciate it very much. <laughs> uh, always great to connect with you. And uh, we'll, we'll stay in touch and we'll chat very soon. Thank you, Mike.